during the life and ministry of Jesus, there were thousands of people around him, following him. And of those thousands, there were 120 that Jesus pulled aside and sent out into mission. He gave them, it seems, special instruction, special care. And of those 120, he prayed intensely and asked his father who he should call as his 12 apostles. So he called 12. And those 12, if you've ever read the Bible, he set aside and spent great amounts of time with, cared for them, taught them about his ministry and about love. And of those 12, do you know that there were three, especially that he took aside? There are instances in the Bible where he brought uh, Peter, James, and John uh, to special uh, ministries, to special times of teaching, and he spent a lot of time with them. The Bible says, though, that of those three, that his most beloved was John. Right at the end of the Gospel of John, you'll see a picture of Jesus reclining at table and John with his head on Jesus' breast. And so if we're gonna learn about love, then we might as well go to the one who was with Jesus the most and knew him the most intimately and vulnerably, and it was John. John in the Bible writes one of the biographies, I guess you could say, of Jesus, the Gospel of John. He also wrote letters to several churches. So at the very back of your Bible, you'll find three books, three letters from the Apostle John. Today, as we think about love together, we're gonna look at a section from one of those letters. Don't you think John would know a lot about love, spending that much time with Jesus? Let's look and see what John says about love. We're gonna look at 1 John 4, verses seven through 12. I'm gonna read that passage to us and then I'm gonna ask you to pray with me so we can hear from God about love. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Dear friends, this is God's word for us. Let's pray now. Our Father, may the words of my mouth now and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And not only acceptable, we ask that you would guide by your spirit my words, all of our thinking, all of our feelings, to receive now from you your word. We, we're gonna presume upon you that what you say is true, that you'll speak now, that you'll speak to those of us who believe in you and love you and want to be your disciple and that you will speak to those of us who have trouble believing in you and who wonder if we want to follow you or if we even ever have. Speak to each one of us because we need to hear from you about love and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In 1932 in the Netherlands, there was a young couple and they had their first child. He was a little boy and they named him Henry. Henry grew up in a family that he described as a very loving family. They affirmed him. 
They boosted him up. They challenged him. He talks about it as a very warm environment to grow up in. Henry, it was apparent very early, had profound intellectual gifts. He was very bright and very gifted. But not only did he have great intellectual abilities, he also had a very spiritual nature. He grew up in a Christian home and it was very early in his life. He was six years old when he said, I wanna be a pastor. He decided that's what he wanted to do. And so he spent his life from that point on dedicating himself to learning more about what it meant to serve God and serve other people. One of the ways he did that was that he decided to study psychology alongside his training to be a pastor. He also wanted to study psychology. Now, some people, maybe you've heard people like this. They said, you know, if you go to a secular school, if you study psychology, that's gonna undermine your faith. Henry didn't believe that. He thought if I can understand better how people grow and develop, how they learn, how they communicate, then I can be a better pastor. So that's what he did. His gifts, his talents, he poured it all into this work of being a pastor and a psychologist. Now, when he got done with his studies in psychology, he was contacted by Notre Dame University and invited to become part of the faculty there. He didn't apply, he was invited. He went to Notre Dame and he was a smashing success. His classes were well attended. In his first two years there, he wrote two books which were well received. He was acclaimed universally. So much so that after two years, Yale University, you've heard of Yale, right? It's a little school up in the Northeast. Yale came to Henry and said, would you please be on our faculty? Didn't apply, was invited. This was Henry's reply. I'll come on three conditions. First, you have to guarantee that I'll get tenure after three years. Second, you have to guarantee that within five years, I'll be made a full professor. And third, I want to be able to write about whatever I want on whatever timetable I want. Those were the demands he put on Yale University. And they said, oh yes, please come. And so he did. He went there and he worked and he ministered. He wasn't the kind of professor that stayed in an ivory tower. He pursued all kinds of ministry, serving others, loving others, wrote dozens of books. And I'm not sure how you do better than Yale. I don't have an opinion about this, by the way, if there's any Yale or Harvard grads here. Harvard approached him and said, we want you to come to be with us. He said, okay, I'll come, but I only wanna teach one semester a year. He said, they said, fine. And you know why he only wanted to teach one semester? Because the other semester he wanted to spend in Central and South America working with the indigenous people there, people who were poor and oppressed, advocating for them and living alongside them. I want you to know that it'd be almost impossible to have more success in whatever chosen field you have than Henry had in his. And not only did he have success, he also was what you might call a moral success, meaning he didn't do all these things so he could gain a lot of money for himself or a lot of acclaim. What was he doing? He was serving other people and he was teaching others how to serve. And that's why it's somewhat astonishing to hear Henry's description of his own inner life towards the end of his time at Harvard. This is what he writes about it. After 25 years of ministry, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside of me was telling me that my success was putting my own soul in danger. 
I began to ask myself whether my lack of contemplative prayer, my loneliness, and my constantly changing involvement in whatever seemed most urgent were signs that the spirit was gradually being suppressed. It was very hard for me to see clearly. And though I never spoke about hell or only jokingly so, I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. So at this point, Henry began to pray and he began to consult people that knew him well, that he trusted to try to figure out what it was in his life that was so wrong, what it was that was missing in his life. And do you know the conclusion that he came to? Do you know what he realized was missing in his life? It was love. What he realized that he needed more than water, more than air, more than anything, was that he needed more love in his life. And when I say that to you, you might think, okay, what it meant was then he needed to find a spouse or he needed a family around him. That wasn't it. It was bigger than that. Henry was a single person all of his life and he didn't have children. He knew that it was bigger than that. What he needed more than anything were two things. He needed to be able to receive love from others, especially from God. It wasn't happening. He was not experiencing God's love in his life for all of his action, for all of his ministry, for all of his service, for all of his striving. He was not receiving God's love and it was killing him. And the second thing that he needed more of was that he needed to give more love. And you might say, well, gosh, wasn't he doing that already? Yes, in a way. But what was missing in his life were those authentic and vulnerable and personal relationships in which he could give and receive love in his life. That's what was missing in his life. And so now this is the point in the sermon where I am supposed to ask the rhetorical question, isn't that true of many of us? Don't we need more in love in our lives? But I don't have to ask that rhetorical question because I know it's already true. That we all need more love in our lives. Every single one of you need more love. You need more love than you deserve. You need more love than you're getting. You need to be able to receive love and experience of it, the feeling of it, the action of it, to receive it from God and the people around you. And you need to be able to give love to the people around you. It's the most important thing that there is. There's nothing more important than love and there's nothing more corrosive and more common than a lack of love. And that's what this sermon series is going to be about. It's gonna be about examining what love is and how we can receive it and also give it. And that's what I'm gonna to cover today. Those are gonna be my three points. The definition of love, what it is, how we can receive it and how we can give it. I'm gonna speak a little bit more broadly today as I do that. Christian and the rest of the leaders and the pastors and the staff here, you're gonna be talking about it in very specific ways. How do we love one another? How do we love our family and our friends and those who we are in conflict with? How do we do it? I'm gonna speak a little bit more broadly, but this has been my prayer all week that we would also be able to receive it in a practical way right now. And even my prayer has been that as we hear God speaking to us now, that we would be able to receive love right now. I mean, right now. So we're gonna do that by looking at the passage that I just read. We're gonna go through it and look at those three points that I mentioned, the definition of love, the receiving of love, and the giving of love. And we'll begin with the definition of love by looking at the two verses, the first two. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's the first thing that you need to know if you wanna define the word love. You have to know that the definition comes from God. If you want to define love and understand what it is, you have to first go to God. That's what the passage says. Verse seven, love is from God. What that means is that any bit of love that you've ever experienced in your life, as a baby with your parents, as a parent with your children, with your spouse, with your friends, even with a pet or an animal, any kind of love that you've experienced, that good feeling, that benefit, that belovedness, any of it, it always came from God. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. Love comes from God. Verse eight says, God is love. And notice there that it doesn't say love is God. Because if it said love is God, that would mean that the connections that you and I have, that's our God. It would mean that the relationships that we have, that they would rule us, that that's God, that's not true. But what is true is that God is love. And if God is love, then he has to be the one to define what love is. Because there are a lot of other definitions of love on offer to us all the time. They're coming at us from all angles. There are all kinds of people and ways that are trying to express to you, this is what love is. And then what they do is they begin to creep inside of us, inside of our hearts and minds. And so when we know that realization, we need love, we think, gosh, what is it that we need? We make assumptions about what love is. It comes at us from all different points in all different ways. And one of the ways that you notice it most is through music. There are an awful lot of love songs aren't there, out there, aren't there? You know, the Beatles, they wrote 13 songs that have the word love in the title. And one of my least favorite Beatles songs, listen, I'm a big Beatles fan. I was the second grade kid in 1980 at Herrick Park Elementary School wearing a Beatles hat and a John Lennon t-shirt. Not terribly popular at that point in second grade, but nevertheless, a huge Beatles fan. But one song I'm not so fond of is All You Need Is Love. It's just never really caught on to me. I always thought it's been a little bit musically uninteresting, but here's the problem with that song too, is that depending on how you define what love is, that song takes on all different kinds of meanings. If you think about love in whatever way you do, it's going to matter. You hear that, all you need is love. What does that mean? All you need is the special feeling that you have with your beloved. All you need is love. Does that mean all you need is that erotic physical connection with somebody? All you need is love. Does that mean all you need is a stable, cohesive family around you who loves you well? Is that what it means? There are lots of different kinds of definitions of love and how you define love matters. And what this passage says, it makes a bold claim, is that only God can define love. All those other definitions that we might have, all of them usually have some kind of truth in them but only God's definition as it comes to us can really tell us what love is. And that's the only definition that can shape us and send us out into the world as we're supposed to go. So what is the definition that God gives of love? If that's true, then what's the definition? Well, we could go to a lot of different places, but let's stay with John. He knew a lot about love. Let's move one chapter back from where we're at, 1 John 4, and now we'll go back to 1 John 3. 1 John 3.16 says this about love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When John defines love, he points at Jesus. 
When the Bible as a whole wants us to know what love is, it points at the ministry of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection. And here says, if you wanna know what love is, this is what it is. Jesus laid down his life for you. That's what it is. It's that simple, it's that basic, and it's that strong. That's how you and I receive love. That's the point that we're at right now. We receive love by receiving it from Jesus, his laying down of his life. And he also shows us what it is because this verse says that when we receive the love of God from Jesus, that it doesn't terminate with us. It doesn't just stop. That what God wants to do is he wants to say, I'm gonna love you. My son is gonna lay down his life for you. He's gonna give you everything. And now I want it to flow through you. Before we get a little bit farther, what I wanna do now is give you a working definition of love that you're gonna carry with you through the rest of the series. This is what came from Christian. He gave this to me and it lines right up with this definition. So this is what you're gonna carry with the rest of the series. Here's the definition of love. Seeking the well-being of the other without thought of the benefit or cost to myself. Now, can't we look at that definition and see and know? And if you don't know this, I'm telling you now, if this is the first time you've heard this or if maybe this is the first time you've really heard it, this is what Jesus has done for you. He sought your well-being without thought of the benefit or cost to himself because the cost was infinitely high and he paid that cost so that you and I would know love and be received into God's presence. That is love. That's the definition of love. And that's what you guys are gonna be talking about in the next weeks. But what I wanna do with the rest of the time that we have left is talk a little bit about those two things we've already mentioned, what it means to receive love and what it means to give love. So let's move now to those second two points. The first point was the definition of love. It comes from God. That's the definition it has to come from him. And it's when somebody does something for you, a benefit for you without thought of the cost to them. So now the second point, let's go back to that passage and think about now what it means to receive that love. Let's look at verses nine and 10 together. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. One of the ways that Henry grew in his ability to receive and give love was that he resigned his position at Harvard and he went to work and live in a community called Daybreak, which is near Toronto. Daybreak is a community for people with profound physical and mental disabilities. And Henry went there not to be a psychologist or a pastor. He just went there to be a community member and to do what all the community members do there, which is to care for the people that are there. They care for one another. That's what they do there. And when Henry arrived, he realized that all of his profound gifts were basically useless there. Henry, the Harvard professor, nobody really cared that he had taught at Harvard or Yale. Nobody really thought it was a big deal that he had written dozens of books because most of the people there couldn't read. And one of the ways that that began to rest on him that he was receiving God's love there was that all of those gifts that he had were slowly stripped away. All of those ways that he had spent his life trying to prove to himself and to others that he was worthwhile were taken away, pulled out of his grasping hands. And all he's left with was empty hands. 
And the only thing empty hands usually are good for in that situation is to receive. And that's when Henry really began to receive love from God and from one another. Because in his life up to that point, he had succumbed to that temptation to believe that what you get out of the world, what love you get from God, what love you get from others is the love that you can earn and that you deserve. And so Henry spent his life trying to do for others and serve others and do good for others and prove to others that he was worthy enough. But when he got to daybreak, he didn't have that anymore. What he had was the realization that God loved him apart from anything that he was able to do. Now, if I could be somewhat personal with you here, I, like Henry, am a pastor. And so I know a little bit about that temptation to believe that my worthiness, to believe that the love that I'm gonna receive from God is predicated upon whether or not I do good things for God. And then the flip side of that is, right, of course, if I do bad things, if I don't serve well enough, if I don't love well enough, then God isn't going to love me. And so you do a lot of good things. You get into ministry, you serve, you volunteer. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that this is not a temptation that is exclusive to pastors. That it is very easy for us. It seems right and fitting for us to believe that if we do good things, then we'll be loved. And if we do bad things, then we'll be rejected. God will accept us if we love well enough. God will like us if we're lovely. But if we prove not to be lovely, then God will reject us. And that's not how God's love works. And that's not how love works at all. Instead, what does this passage say? Verse nine, he sent his son to you. Why? As a reward? As a exchange? As a payment for something that you did? No, he sent his son to you as a gift. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. The beginning of understanding that you and I can receive God's love is to know that it is a gift to us, a gracious benefit that doesn't depend on what we give in exchange for it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his sheep, not because of something he got from them, but because that's who he is. That's what he's chosen to be. That you and I come into this world as sheep that need a shepherd and Jesus Christ is our shepherd who lays down his life for us. And it's a danger to believe anything else. And I'll tell you, our world is constantly trying to tell us something else. I love Christmas. I'm really bummed that Christmas is over, but here, there is a peril in Christmas and here it is. Christmas becomes a season of what? Giving. We all begin to think of ourselves as very giving people and generous people. Even the grinchiest and scroogiest of us become givers, right? That's what Charles Dickens teaches us. Even the very worst people, it turns out, can be giving people. But the gospel Christmas story is that even the worst of us can be beloved people. Even the people, those of us who do not feel or act giving at all are still loved. And that God's love for us is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not after we became giving people. I know that there are a lot of people here. In fact, all of you, I would say, are people who have profound gifts and resources and talents. Every single one of you. I know some of you have a hard time believing that that's true of you. It's true of you. You have profound gifts. 
And you should use those gifts to express and show love to God and to the people around you. But before you do that, I want you to know that you're a person who mostly is defined by empty hands and that God's love for you is before and beyond anything you can do or not do for God. God's love for you comes as a gift and you receive it and it's gracious. And it comes to us, look at verse 10, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation? I went to school for three years and I had to look this up this week, all right? I went to school for three years to study ministry in the Bible. I had to look this up this week. It's a complicated word. I'm not gonna spend too much time covering it. I'm gonna be kind of simple about it, but not simplistic. One of the meanings of this multi-layered word is that propitiation means cover. It means covering. And that's enough for us to know a lot about what love is because you and I know, we both know, that covering has a lot to do with love because think about, think about the dinner that you go to with a good friend, the expensive, wonderful restaurant that you go to together and you have a wonderful meal together and then the waiter comes and brings the bill and lays it down and your friend, she takes it and she says, I'll cover it. Or when you were little and you fell on your bike and you scraped your knee and there your mom was and she scooped you up and she put you in her lap and she had the band-aids and the special ointment that stung, but it actually felt great. And she wrapped her arms around you and she says, I'm gonna cover this up for you. Or when you're weeping in grief or loneliness or you're not even sure why and someone is alongside you and he puts his arm around you and you're covered. Or when you have a debt that you could never pay that you could not possibly pay on your own and somebody with great resources comes alongside you and says, I wanna cover that for you. Listen, friends, I know some of you have heard what I'm about to say before, but if you've never heard it, hear it now. Each one of us here have a great debt that we owe. We have a debt of sin. We've broken fellowship with God and we have broken relationships with the people around us. It's just true whether we like it or not. We have a debt of sin that we have, but we also have a debt of love. We know that we haven't loved as we should. And what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is he has sent him into this world, the fairest of 10,000, the bright and morning star, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords came to this world to come alongside you and put his arm around you and to know of your debt and say, I'll cover it. I will take care of what you can't take care of. This debt of sin you owe, this debt of love you owe, I can cover it. That's what it means to receive God's love. That's what you and I need more than anything in this world, to receive love freely from God. And God has chosen to do that for you and I. I know it's hard to believe and it's hard to receive, but it's the easiest thing to receive too, but because it costs you and I nothing, it costs him everything. So there's the second point. The first point, the meaning of love. It has to be defined by God and he defines it as someone laying down their life without the thought of the cost for them. The second is you and I receive love from God as a free gift that comes to us graciously because he covers us. And now here's the third point. Because we've received that love, we are called to give that love. And we're gonna look now at the last two verses of that passage. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Y'all are smart people. We don't have to make this too complicated. What does it say? It says, you have received the love of God. God has covered you. Now what you should do is you should go and express that love to others. It's that simple and that difficult and that beautiful. God says, I've covered you. I want you to go and cover others. I've cared for you. I want you to go and care for others. I have let my love flow into you. I want it to flow through you now and out to others. That's the call that God gives. It's that basic and that simple. God says, I've loved you. Now I wanna see you love. And most of the time when it comes to love, you can see it. Oftentimes we think of love as something inside of us that we're feeling that nobody else can see. Or we think about love, which doesn't have intention. It's just something that sort of happens to us. What do we say about love? I fell in love. It sounds like you were walking down the sidewalk and there was a mushy kind of ugly puddle and you get to your house and you go, what happened to you? Oh, I fell in love. I fell. <laughs> but that's not how love is described in the Bible. Love is often described as a choice. And it's described as something very, very tangible. When Henry went to daybreak, I told you he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't really a psychologist. He did some of those things there. But you know what his main job was? Like all the other able-bodied people there, he was paired with somebody there who had mental or physical disabilities. Henry was paired with a man named Adam. Adam was unable to speak. Adam was unable to walk. He was unable to care for himself in any way. So every single day, in order to prepare him for his day, Henry had to help Adam. He had to bathe him. He had to shave him. He had to brush his teeth. He had to clothe him. He had to feed him. It took almost two hours every single day for Henry to do this. And what he was doing while he was doing that was that he was loving Adam. Here's the things, friends, you don't need to go far away to do the things that Henry was doing for Adam. You don't have to go far away to feed somebody who's hungry. You don't have to go far away to provide for somebody who needs your help, to be present to somebody who needs to be prepared for what they're going to do that day, to listen to somebody who is lonely. All those things that Henry was doing were the works of love, that's what you and I are called to as well. And those works of love that you're called to are gonna happen in all kinds of different ways. It's gonna be as special and unique as each one of you is special and unique and you are. Did you know that there are things about you that God can do that he can't do through anybody else? He's created you to love in a way that nobody else can love. And God created Henry to use his great gifts to love. Some of you have great gifts like Henry have had. Some of you have great administrative gifts. Some of you have great intellectual gifts. Some of you have great business and planning gifts. You should use those gifts to love the people around you, to love this church and this town and this world. But like Henry, you have people around you that you can love in very simple and basic and profound ways as well. This passage says that none of us has ever seen God, and it's true. We haven't but you have seen your family and you can love them. You can cover them in your love. You have seen your coworkers 
You can love them. You can cover them. You've seen your friends. You've seen your children. You've seen your parents. You can cover them in your love in profound and in basic ways. You've seen people that you're in conflict with. That's gonna be hard. But you can cover them in love. And you've even seen yourself. You've seen yourself in the mirror. You've seen inside yourself. And that must, might be the hardest one of all, to see yourself and then know that you need love from yourself as well. And that sometimes is the hardest person in our lives to love, right? Because... We know all the stuff nobody else knows. We know the dark stuff and we know the past and we know the secrets and we know the shame and we might look around this room and we might say, I can love all of them, but I can't love myself. But you know, God, he sees you. He knows all those things about you. He knows what's gone on in your past. He knows what's inside of you, the stuff that's all broken. And he has loved you and cared for you and covers you even now. He wants you to obey him, to love him and yourself and to receive the love that he has for you. And he wants you now to go out and to love your neighbor, to let the love that he has poured into you flow out to others. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, we are people who need your love. We need more love than we deserve. So we ask, Father, that you would give us open hearts and hands and minds to receive that love. Help us to know that it is true for us that your son Jesus laid down his life to cover us up, to cover our debts, to cover our wounds, to cover us completely. And we pray, Father, that that love would not stop with us, but that it would go out from us, that it would flow, that you would give us opportunities to love the people around us, creatively and imaginatively. Help us to do it. Give us courage. Give us opportunities. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.